Do you know how to trap a monkey? It's an odd question, uh, particularly an odd question to think about on Sunday morning, maybe particularly to think about uh, in this region of the world that we live in, we don't really have monkeys running around all over the place, but just in case uh, you ever wanted to know, or in case you have a monkey running around wild in your house, here's how you trap a monkey. You take a large coconut. Use your imagination. A large coconut. You cut a hole in it, empty it out, and make sure that the hole is just big enough for the monkey to fit his open little greedy paws in, but a clenched fist he can't get out. And then you take the monkey's favorite treat, a banana. And you put the banana in the coconut You tie the coconut to a tree, and you just wait. And then, along comes a greedy little monkey. And he sticks his greedy little paws in there to get the banana, but with a clenched fist, he can't get it out. But if only he would just drop the banana, he could get his hand out. But the monkey doesn't do that. He tries hard and harder and harder and harder to get the prize that he's so greedy for, that appetite that he has for that thing in there, and he just won't let it go. And then the trapper, the hunter, comes along and finds the monkey trying harder and harder and harder and harder to get his hand out of the coconut, but he still refuses to let it go. And the trapper comes and just picks up the monkey and walks away. All the monkey had to do was loosen his grip, and he would be free. That's how you trap A monkey. I found that it also works with toddlers, but instead of a banana, you use uh, fruit snacks. So, just in case you're wondering about that. But the thing is, you know, you, you don't actually end up trapping the monkey. Really, the monkey ends up trapping himself. Because his greed is so strong that he's willing to sacrifice everything, even his very life, for it. And so if you go home and, you know, you don't trust me, you want to fact check me on this, if you go home and look this up, you'll find that this method isn't actually foolproof, it's wise proof, I guess, that you would call it, uh, because the only kind of monkey that you can trap this way is a monkey who lacks the intelligence to let go of the banana and run away. Stupid little greedy monkey. Aren't you glad that we're smarter than monkeys? But maybe the monkey's not alone. So let me ask you this morning, what is it that you're holding on to that's holding you back? 
What are you holding on to that you're refusing to let go of that actually has you trapped? What are you holding on to that's dragging you down and slowing down, slowing you down? What are you holding on to that is holding you back from the freedom that you could be experiencing? What are you holding on to that is making a monkey out of you? So, Here's the bottom line of today's sermon. Ready for it? Let go of the banana and run away. That's it. That's all I got. Let go of the banana and run away. You don't really need any further explanation than that. I mean, you know what banana you are a bandit of. You know what your coconut is. You know what that thing is that you have an appetite for that you just want, and you'll give anything to grab a hold of it. And the truth is, you don't need a pastor to stand up here on Sunday mornings and tell you what that is. You probably already know. And also, you, you don't really need to be a Christian to understand this concept. Just let go of the banana and run away. And really, that's all I have for you. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can take it from there and just go with it. Just, just identify what the banana is for you, what it is that's keeping you trapped relationally, emotionally, financially, physically, and just let go of the banana and run away. And if you do that, hey, you're free to tune out the rest of this message, okay? Just, you've got your homework, just go and do it. So that won't bother me at all. But I figure since we're both here this morning... I'd say some more things, specifically some more things from the Bible, if that's okay with you. Um, And today's message is going to be kind of one of those choose-your-own-adventure sermons, right? You remember those choose-your-own-adventure books where, you know, you'd get about halfway through and it says you can flip to this page or that page for an alternative plot or an alternative ending, So that's today's message, okay? You just kind of choose your own adventure. Uh, You choose your own banana. You choose your own coconut. You pick your own poison, uh, if I'm going to say it that way. You know, whatever that thing is, whatever you are a banana bandit of, whatever that is, just, just go ahead and plug that in there. Because the truth is, right, we, we all cling to stuff. We all cling to stuff. It's sort of human nature. We cling to stuff, stuff. We cling to relationships, even some unhealthy ones. We cling to habits, both healthy and unhealthy. We cling to ideas, even when we know that we're wrong. We cling to prejudices. We cling with a tight fist. And, and maybe, just maybe, just maybe, Maybe the reason why we cling so tightly is because we think that by clinging, we gain some sense of control. We have some sort of security or stability. But sometimes, we end up looking like a stupid, greedy monkey with our hand stuck inside an empty coconut. You see, the gospel of Jesus, 
the good news of Jesus, made this very clear, that this is kind of at the heart of what Jesus talked about. If you remember, he, he said it this way one time. He said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit, lose their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Wow, Jesus, that's, that's pretty intense. But he says, no, this is what it actually looks like to follow me. That if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, this, this is what it looks like. It, it looks like leaving this behind, whatever this is for you. And so what's, what's your coconut? What's your banana? What's that thing that you're holding on to that is really just holding you back? So I want to start us off on this advent, talking about money. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, gosh, when can we flip the page to get to the alternative plot? Because I really don't want to hear about money. Okay, <clears throat> don't worry. We're not going to hang out here long. It's, it's just kind of an illustration uh, in on-ramp to the meat and potatoes and the heart of the matter that Jesus talks about. But I will say this. Money is something that all of us have. And if we're honest, all of us have a tendency to cling to it a little bit, whether we have a little or a lot a bit. And, you know, just statistically speaking, statistically speaking, about 80% of us struggle with it, have some financial issues, some financial strugglings. And then just on top of that, Jesus talked about money more than any other social aspect that he ever talked about. And Jesus used money to get to the heart and the soul of the matter. And so let me take you to a quick passage uh, to explain what I'm talking about here. Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning that if you want to know someone's heart, and if you want to know my heart, look at their stuff. Look at their treasures. Don't look at me up here on Sunday mornings. Don't, don't look at my Bible with all the underlinings and the highlighting. That's, that's just Sharpie. That's, that's nothing. If you want to know my heart, look at my checkbook. Look at my credit card statements. Look at, look at all my stuff. That if you wanted to try to quantify my, my trust in God, look at what I give. Not, not just the amount, because that, that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it. But the obedience of it. 
the dedication of it. That if you want to see my trust in God, look at what I'm willing to give away. Look at what I'm willing to give back to God. Look at what I'm willing to give away to others. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus goes on, skips down a couple verses, and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or another translation, an older translation you may have heard of is, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, mammon is just stuff. It's an old word for stuff or wealth or the accumulation of things. Um, So... As Christians, as Christians, the problem with being a master to anything, to being mastered by anything, is that we already have a master, Jesus points out here. He says you cannot serve both God and anything else. You, you have one master, you can't have two. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you place your trust in God, you cannot serve both God and all of the other stuff. You might be thinking, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, Jesus, look, I don't serve my stuff, okay? I'm not mastered by it. My stuff serves me. Look, I've been binge-watching, tidying up, you know, with Marie Kondo. Like, you know, I'm getting away. It's not bringing me joy, you know, okay? I don't have a master. I'm not mastered by anything. And, and by the way, I mean, master, ugh, that's such an antiquated word. I mean, just saying it brings up, conjures up all these notions of, of slavery, I don't have a master. Okay. Well, let me ask. What then do you call this? If you don't call this mastery, what do you call this if you don't call it being trapped? What do you call this if you don't call it being enslaved? If you can't let go or you refuse to let go, if what just started as something that you wanted or something that you had an appetite or a desire for, but now you can't let go of it, if that's not having a master, then what is it? Really, what is it? Friends, your master has a first name, and it's G-R-E-E-D. And your master has a second name, and it's D-E-B-T. T. We'll throw another T in there so it rhymes, okay? <clears throat> Some of you are still spelling that out in your head, okay? Greed, debt. All right, there we go. Uh, that what started off as an appetite for, for something shiny and new, or, or maybe a bunch of, of little things that just kind of added up, that, that you, you bought something for its status and, and not so much for its usefulness, that you took that bait of buy now, pay later, only to find out that it really means free now, debt forever, or plug whatever it is that you want in there. Whatever, whatever that banana is, plug whatever it is in there that first caught your attention, but now it's ended up catching you. And look, although you may not want to admit it, and although I, I don't want to admit it, this, this is what we call greed right here. 
And the reason why we don't want to admit to it, the reason why we don't want to admit to being greedy is because, well, we just can't see it. We just can't see that this is a trap. We just can't see that our hand is stuck. And we think, yeah, I can let go of it. Okay. Show me. Show me. See, greed is this little lie that we begin to tell ourselves, I owe me. I owe me. Greed is not only the lie that we tell ourselves, you know, I deserve it, but really, I owe it to myself. I, I owe it to myself. I, I owe myself something, and therefore, I'm justified in my acquisition of it. Greedy people will sacrifice anything, anything, for their own sake. I owe me some stuff. I owe me some praise. I owe me some attention. I owe me some, some power. You see, greed, greed is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Greedy people don't feel greedy because, because greed's not a feeling. Greed is an action. Greed is a refusal to let go. Greed is a refusal to drop the banana and run away. It's a refusal to let someone else be in the spotlight. It's a refusal to give some of your extra away. It's a refusal to loosen up and to just let go. And the only thing, the only thing that can break the cycle of greed is its opposite. An open hand. Generosity. The act of just letting go. And you've got to give to the point where it makes your life a little uncomfortable. Where you give away more than you really want to. You've got to give to the point where it it forces you to adjust your lifestyle And if you're not willing to give to the point that it impacts your lifestyle, then according to Jesus, you're greedy. And you're trapped. And you may not like that answer. And it might be kind of bitter medicine to you, but but that's because greed has played a trick on your mind, telling us that it's actually going to be more painful to let go than it will be to just carry around this thing with us wherever we go. But push past that pain threshold and and let go of more than you may want to. And so that might mean you write a big old fat check to the charity of your organization. It might mean that you get out a stack of thank you notes and you write a thank you note to every person who made you the person that you are today. It might mean taking a minute to brag on your coworkers. And it might mean forgiving someone offering them the greatest gift that you ever could have, forgiveness. You have to let it go. Because, getting back to Jesus' whole heart of this teaching, we have to ask ourselves, really, really honestly, is it about the stuff and the status Or is it really about 
control. And who's really in control here? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve two masters because as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you already have a master and you know his name. Now Paul picks up on this dichotomy later on in his life after he's uh, served Jesus, given his life over to him, followed him. Uh, He's been imprisoned for preaching uh, the gospel and for his faith. And uh, he'll write a letter to the church in Rome, one of, you know, the last letters that we have that Paul ever wrote. And it's actually Paul writes it, we believe, while he was in prison. And he writes this to the church in Rome. And this is so important. Don't miss this. He says, don't you know... Just, Paul says, let's make sure that we're all on the same page here. Okay, don't, don't you know, haven't you heard, don't you realize? And then he goes on to say something that's, that's so obvious that it doesn't really need to be stated, but he says it anyways. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone or something, That when you offer yourselves to someone or something as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone or something, that when you offer yourselves as someone to something, you are slaves of the one you obey. That when you stuck your hand in there and you got tied to, roped to, chained to something that you refuse to let go, you are obeying that thing. You're stuck. You're obeying that greedy appetite. You're obeying that thing that you first thought that it would give you some control, that it would give some security to your life, but now it turns out you're just controlled by it. So if you ever thought, wow, I've actually never really thought of it that way. That's why Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know? Because we don't think this way. We don't think through all of the implications. We don't see down the road to see how this thing could impact your life and the people that you love around you. We don't see the trap. We don't see our freedom slipping away. And so he goes on and he says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, just hold on to that, or to obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Whoa. Okay, hold on thought we were just talking about money and like simple, lighthearted stuff. And there you go, Paul, slapping the big old S word on it, sin. But Paul says, here's what's at stake. This is, this is the heart of it all. That we're not just talking about outward stuff, but we're talking about a deep, inward reality that shapes, affects, and results in an outward lifestyle. And if anywhere along the way that gets mixed up, that's what Paul says, that's sin. Let me define sin for you. It's really easy in the New Testament understanding of it. Sin is anything that there's a break in a relationship. Anytime that a relationship is broken, that you do something 
voluntarily or involuntarily, to break a relationship. That you break a relationship with God. You break a relationship with others. You break a relationship that you have within your own self. And that, that's sin. And sin is actually, it's bad for you. Paul says sin actually leads to death, And if you think, wow, that's, I, I don't know if I can go that far. That seems a little crazy. Let me ask you, have you ever seen the death of a relationship because of someone's sin? Have you ever seen how sin can kill a relationship? How it can kill you financially? How it can kill you spiritually? How it can kill you physically? Sin enslaves you. It's bad stuff, y'all. Don't mess around with it. But Paul says, on the other hand, obedience, obedience to God is what actually makes things right. So he explains further and he says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that although you used to have your hand in the coconut and you wouldn't let go, you have come to and not just Believe, but you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Paul says this isn't just a theory, that these aren't just words, that this, this what I'm talking about, this is, this is a whole new way of life. This is a whole new pattern. This obedience from the heart, this is a, a new way of living. This is the way of Jesus, Paul says. This is a new way of seeing the world, of seeing yourself, of seeing others, of seeing your money and your relationships, seeing God, seeing forgiveness. This is a brand new, brand new way of thinking. And if you will embrace it, it will change everything. That it will actually empower you to let go of that thing that you have been holding on to that has just been holding on to you. Obedience sets you free, free to let go of the things that have been holding you back so that you can reach for true freedom. He wraps it up this way and he says, you have been set free. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now if you're thinking this through and if you're a wise person, here this is beginning to sound a whole lot like that slavery thing again. You know, Paul, isn't, isn't this just trading in one banana, one coconut, one master for another here? And Paul says, yeah, exactly. That's the same thing that I'm talking about. And, and this would have been so offensive to the people that, that would hear these words of Paul in a, in a culture, in a society where slavery was, was so uh, evident and it was everywhere. But Paul says it's the same way, that just as you offered yourself to someone or something in obedience to it, you've become a slave to it. So in the same way, if you offer yourself to God in obedience from the heart to God, you become a slave of God. Well, that doesn't sound like much good news, but, but here's, 
the crucial difference. And here's the kicker. And here's Jesus' own words. So if you've tuned out, come back. Tune back in. Listen to this. Jesus said, The Son of Man, meaning me, Jesus, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So let me, let me ask this morning. What has this thing that you've been holding on to how has it served you? What's the price that it paid for you? What has it sacrificed for you? The truth is, I bet, it's not only slowing you down, but, it, but it's costing you something too. What is it? And who's really, who's really in control here? So, why would you allow this to be your master? Because you know what you owe you? What you truly owe yourself? You owe it to yourself to let it go. You owe it to your future self to drop the banana and run. You owe it to your spouse. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your kids. You owe it to your community. You owe it to this church to just drop the banana and run away. Because because you, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price that your freedom has come from the cross of Jesus. Don't give yourself over to another master. Don't do it. And look, I know you can have many masters, but there is only one who is good, there is only one who is true. There is only one who has given his life for you. So who do you want to be your master? Who do you want to be in control? So in addition to dropping the banana and running away, of letting go of the thing that's just been kind of making a monkey out of you, in addition to that, I hope that you would drop the banana, run away, and run to the one who paid a price for you, a price that you could never understand, that you could never calculate, a price to bring you back and to buy you back, and that God would give you the courage and the wisdom to let go of the things that you're holding on to that are holding you back so that you may take hold of the kingdom of God and the life that is freely and abundantly offered to you through Jesus Christ. Because to do so is to live simply 
and generously and freely. To do so is to build your life on a firm foundation. But maybe that's down the road. (laughs) Maybe today we end where we began with the question for how to live a life that is truly a life. What are you holding on to that is holding you back? What do you need to let go of to live freely with open hands? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we call you Lord, and we call you Master. Words that might seem foreign to us. And God, we confess sometimes words that are hard to get out of our mouths because we want to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, how we want. But Lord, you've seen those things. You've seen how they've trapped us and enslaved us. You've seen our sins. So God, this morning, may we seek your forgiveness. May we seek your freedom by becoming obedient to you, Lord. May we place our lives in your hands. God, if any of this spoke to someone's heart this morning, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open up their hearts, open up their minds, but God, also open up their hands to let go of whatever that thing is that has kept them trapped, that they may walk in newness of life. Lord Jesus, be our guide. Teach us, instruct us, but give us the courage to humbly follow you and serve you. I pray this in your name. Amen.